0: Welcome to Surrey's Greener Future. In these podcasts we will identify ways where each and every one of us can do our bit to make a difference. We will also keep you updated about a number of local projects supported by Surrey County Council which are designed to improve the environment. Farnham is described as an historic market town nestled in the rolling Surrey Hills, some 34.5 miles southwest of London, at the extreme west of Surrey, on the border with Hampshire. To the east of the town, the Hogsback forms part of the North Downs. Farnham lies in the valley of the north branch of the River Way. The town is midway between Winchester and London, and, in 1138, Henry de Blois, a grandson of William the Conqueror and a brother of King Stephen started building Farnham Castle to provide accommodation for the Bishop of Winchester who had to travel regularly between Winchester and London. Famous residents of Farnham include William Cobbett, the radical MP, soldier, farmer, journalist and publisher, Mike Hawthorne, known as the Farnham Flyer, who was F1 world champion in 1958, and rugby player Johnny Wilkinson. Castle Street, one of the town's main thoroughfares, has been described as one of the loveliest streets in any southern English town. Many will be amazed to learn that a town that sounds so idyllic suffers from major air pollution issues. In this podcast, which is posted as part of the Surrey's Greener Future campaign, you will first hear from Jeremy Hunt. He recently co-hosted a pollution summit alongside the Farnham Herald newspaper you will also hear from a member of the Farnham Cycle Campaign who presented to the attendees at that summit. I'm with Jeremy Hunt, who has represented South West Surrey in Parliament since 2005. He served as a Cabinet Minister from 2010 to 2019, and Jeremy recently co-hosted, along with the Farnham Herald newspaper, a pollution summit about the town of Farnham. How did it go? I think it was
1: an encouraging start. I'm very cautious about meetings that can be talking shops and pollution and the environment is a classic area for virtue signalling. But the reason I did it was that as local MP you don't actually have any real power but you do have a certain convening power. You can bring people around the table. And what I've learnt is that nothing ever happens in Farnham unless all three local councils, the Town Council, the Borough Council and the County Council, agree it needs to happen. So I thought let's get the three councils together with civil society in Farnham and let's get agreement that we will have a plan that will bring pollution levels in the three hotspots that we have in Farnham, which are the Borough Station Hill and Recklesham Hill, down below the EU limits, which will also be our UK Limits, particularly for NO2, but pollution issue is a broader issue than that. And so what I detected was a lot of willingness to do things, but I also got some commitments for plans, timeframes, and what I need to do is to hold everyone to account and make sure they deliver.
0: And when do they have to deliver by?
1: Well, I want the plan for the borough, which is really about the pedestrianisation of the borough, I want the plan to be delivered by the end of January. Now, there's a caveat to that plan, which is that we don't have the funding to do anything, and I think it'll probably cost between five and ten million. But we can't go about raising the money until we have a plan. It's a chicken and egg thing. So, what I want is a plan with a price tag, and then I'm going to start uh, going around with a, a tin, rattling it, and asking. People like Surrey and the, the LEP and anyone I can think of, developers who are busy tearing down the Woolmead and don't quite know what they're going to do with it. So there's lots of people we can go and talk to, but we need to have a plan with the price tag.
0: So pollution's been shown to have an impact on health. And as a former Secretary of State for Health and Social Care, what are your views on the impact to the NHS? Well,
1: they are absolutely huge. And if you look at the growth in respiratory diseases like COPD, the worry that I have is that just as we seem to be banishing the evil of smoking, we're actually replacing it with another respiratory evil, which is pollution in the atmosphere. And I think this is perhaps particularly conscious to me personally because I have young kids, 5, 7 and 9, and where we live in London during the week, We're not far away from some really busy roads and you read a lot of stuff about how it's very damaging for young lungs and so I think this is one of those things where there is a very, very strong public feeling that things need to happen. I think the long-term prognosis, I'm about to meet the Green parliamentary candidate for South West Surrey who's coming in to see me after this meeting, but his point is this is really about cars and he's right, but... We can see a trajectory whereby 20, 40, 50 will be almost entirely electric cars and that problem will go away. I think the issue is between now and then, what's going to happen and are we going to get there at pace, or is this going to be painfully
0: slow? Pollution is also a driver of climate change. At a time when the administration of the US appears not to believe there is climate change, we're seeing the destruction of part of Amazon's rainforests reducing the planet's green lung and also some of the growing Asian economies are building coal-fired power stations, it's very easy for the individual person to believe that they can't make a difference. What encouragement can you give them to make that difference?
1: Well the first thing is that even President Trump's climate scepticism is not going to stop the onward march of common sense on climate change. I think the incredible power of the Extinction Rebellion protests, when we had them, demonstrated that America's now really the only country in the world where there is a political space to oppose climate change. I think everywhere else you go, uh, people recognise that we've got to do more, and we've got to do more quickly. So I wouldn't lose heart from that. I, I wonder whether President Trump might have thought that he could cause the Paris agreement to collapse by pulling out in fact i think the opposite it's actually made people more determined to act so what can we all do i think what we have to do is recognize that there are a lot of practical things that need to happen for climate change to work so if you look at where we are now compared to 2010 some really impressive things have happened but also there are some things that have been a real disappointment And I think we can learn. And so what's impressive is that we now get a third of our electricity from renewables. That's a massive change from a country that used to get so much of our electricity from coal. Uh, By 2025, we won't be getting any electricity from coal. So that is a big change. But we still have a big problem with air quality. And that has been much slower. So I think the trick is to create market incentives that... Mean that ordinary businesses up and down the country start doing the right thing. And that's what we've done with solar panels, that's what we've done with wind farms, and that's what we need to do
0: now when it comes to issues like pollution. My final question is What is the Hunt family doing to reduce their carbon footprint? Well, I'll tell you something,
1: if we weren't doing anything, we'd be in big trouble with my kids because, as far as I can tell, kids come down with a healthy dose of climate indoctrination every single day from school and there there is this is the issue that every school makes absolutely sure kids know about so they are really interested their particular focus I think is understandably for kids is on the issues around wildlife and what's happening to endangered species coral and that side of things but what do we do as a family well I think like most families We've started being much more conscientious about recycling. I started trying to avoid the use of single use plastics. We are buying our first electric car. We've been driving a hybrid car since 2014. And we will, I hope, in the next year move to being either hybrid or electric with all the cars that we use. But it is very much about uh, thinking globally, acting locally. And so we want to do our bit.
0: Well, thank you very much. In part two, I talked to the representative from the Farnham Cycle Campaign. I'm with Pete, who's representing the Farnham Cycle Campaign. Tell me about it. Okay, the, the main objective
2: of Farnham Cycle Campaign is to get people out of cars into what we call active transport. So they're either walking or cycling. This is able bodied people, but also disabled people. Farnham in Surrey, a small market town, is actually in the top 2.5% of most polluted towns in the UK. It's got a terrible pollution problem at the moment and statistics show that people are literally dying from heart attacks and similar things. So our objective is to get more people to cycle, which has many, many benefits, apart from the fact it reduces pollution. It's also cheaper. In a congested town, it's quicker, but it also gives you exercise, which improves life expectancy. You get endorphins from it as well, so there's actually improvements on mental health. Plus also, if we design the cycle tracks for unaccompanied 12-year-olds, which is the Sustrans measure of success then parents will allow teenagers to go out on their own with their friends on their bikes. So instead of meeting up on an Xbox with a headset on, which isn't really meeting anyone, talking to the friends over the internet, they'll actually just get on a bike, cycle across town, go to the friends' house and have what I'd call a proper relationship with their friends and their mates. It opens up the whole town centre to young people as well, so that's one of the many benefits. So what we're trying to build is we're trying to sort of replicate the success they've had in London by building a cycle superhighway. It's a very pretentious name, but it's designed to to get people understanding that it's something different from a white line painted on a dangerous highway. This is actually a protected cycle route, where there's a physical barrier between the cyclist and the cars. So our our sort of slogan is, you can cycle across Farnham without going on the road. And that's what we're hoping will wake people up to the possibilities here. And if we crack the most difficult bit, which is across the town centre, linking up four schools, train station, two supermarkets, sports centre, doctor surgery, etc., and the shops, if we can crack that bit, then I think people will filter in from the quieter roads in the neighbourhoods where there's less traffic, and they probably would let the kids cycle on the streets. OK, so it's difficult, naturally, trying to work with overloaded, underfunded councils, to go through the big, complex planning process to put all of this into something that actually could be delivered and built. Potentially, the timescales for doing all of this are really, really long. We, we're actually sailing on the crest of a wave because the, the public and our local MP has recognised that there's a huge pollution problem in the town. And there's a, a big campaign by the local paper. There's a big campaign by our, Jeremy Hunt, our MP, to try and get something done about it, this, and the other councils, town council and Waverley council, are both fully on board as well. In fact, we're working with them. Several members of the Fire and Cycle Campaign are actually significant people in the Borough Council and the Town Council. So we want to make sure that everything that we're doing dovetails in with their view of the world, and therefore, when we eventually say, "Now can we go and do this?", hopefully, they will have helped create the this if you see what I mean, the thing that we're trying to do, they will have helped shape it in the first place. So they'll be very happy to just to, to push it on through. So that's what the Farnham cycle campaign is really all about. It's, it's improving the quality of life in the town and making it a much nicer place for everybody to live.
0: You mentioned the railway station. If I remember, there are about 500 parking spaces there. How are the commuters going to react to this? That's a very interesting point.
2: We looked at the town and realised that Farnham's largest car park Is the train station car park it's new double decker 500 spaces which represents about a thousand car journeys per day because most days it's completely full so we've actually done our first survey at the train station we went along in the morning from 6am onwards handing out leaflets to say this is what we're planning come back in the evening and please vote if you believe in it and then we went back in the evening with buckets and we handed people tokens and then dropped it in the yes bucket or the no bucket just to say would they regularly use this cycle track if it was built and the results were overwhelming 667 people said yes they would regularly use the cycle track 136 people said no they wouldn't so that's five sixths of people five to one in favor of using the cycle track and more important than that if all those people did regularly get on their bike that's about 1300 journeys per day that would be completed without any pollution at all That's just one of the destinations on our route. We've got four schools as well as that. Think how many parents drive the four by four down to the school, drop the kiddie off, drive back, and then they go for a run. What we're saying is you take your um, bike, maybe with a cycle trailer if the children are young, or maybe just accompany the kids, Cycle to the school, no pollution, you get back home, you've had your daily exercise, you don't then need to go for a run, so you actually save time as well. Plus also, it's physically quicker to travel to a school on a bicycle than it is in a car, because you don't get stuck in traffic, you don't have parking problems. So it's a win-win-win situation for everybody. Then the neighbourhood wins, the parent wins, and the children love going in cycle trailers. And there's a lot of new technology that's helping us as well. There's a, a huge revolution happening in electric scooters and electric bikes. Now, if I was to put one call out to either Mike Goodman, the Environment Minister, or Jeremy Hunt, our local MP, it would be, please, please get electric scooters legalised. They're not legal on the road or the pavement at the moment. They are in Europe, they're widely used, and they're relatively safe because you don't travel generally at more than 10 or 15 miles an hour on them. But they can really take the sting out of hills. People that wouldn't consider cycling up a steep hill can can scoot up, literally scoot up the hill. Electric scooters start from just hundred pounds You get to this train station, you don't even need a cycle rack. You put it under your arm, you climb on the train and put it on the luggage rack. That's the sort of thing that's that's working in our favour, but we need them to be legalised. And I put the call out to those MPs to say, if you really want to do something about the environment, a change in the law could make a huge difference, and you don't need a big budget to do it. Thank you very much.
0: This podcast has been produced by the Mr T Podcast Studio as part of Surrey's Greener Future programme. Please use this material to help inform others.